one of the most important gifts God has given to us so that we will grow is the gift of prayer. I started at the beginning of the summer uh, taking apart some of the misunderstandings that people tend to have about prayer and made it very plain that prayer is a gift that God has given to us uh, with no strings attached in which we are all free to speak to him and trust just because he's decided to listen that he hears us. When we come to God and are ready not only to speak to him but listen, God speaks back to us. Uh, We talked together about how we can actually learn to listen to God and hear what he means to say to us. If you've ever sat still and quiet, you know that your own voice will start going in your head. Does that happen to others of you? Yeah, then uh, maybe you'll begin, uh, if you've got some wounds in your past or difficulties in the present, acknowledging that there are things in life that make you frustrated and sometimes that gets aimed toward God. Uh, We learn together how God is completely fine with hearing from us our complaints and that in fact that's another gift in prayer that we can share with God exactly how we feel no matter what it is and when we do that eventually, uh, we'll come to the place where we see that there are things about us that need to change. Uh, In fact, if we have clear eyes to see ourselves, we'll see that we need to grow and in fact be forgiven. And so last time I shared, we talked about uh, the prayer of confession, that prayer in which we share with God what we need uh, to, to, to confess and ask for his grace and mercy. This morning, this morning we come to the subject that perhaps is the most familiar to people when we think about the subject of prayer. And it's also the one that, well, it raises some of the most difficult questions. And it's the subject of asking God to give you something when you pray. Uh, to change something in your life that's not as you wish uh, it were, to give you something that you don't have yet, the kind of prayer where you simply come and you make a request to God. I want you to look at these words. Uh, They were written a long time ago in a little letter in the New Testament called Philippians. Uh, In this single sentence, there's an awful lot. Look at Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is a simple line of instruction that was written a long time ago to a group of people in Philippi, but it seems quite plain to me that it actually has practical significance for every person who has ever lived or who ever will, because I'm confident that I'm right when I assume about all of you that you, each one of you have something to worry about. Am I right about that? That yesterday you were anxious about something in life that you wish were different. Yes? And tomorrow you'll wake up and it'll be on your mind again. And now that I'm talking about it, instead of enjoying church, you're feeling a little fretful. (laughs) And here comes a man who says, do not worry about anything. Do not worry about that relationship that's not going as you wish it would go. Do not worry about the pattern that your spouse is stuck in again and it's making your marriage really challenging. Don't worry about work where it's beyond you and you can't figure out how to make things work. Don't worry about your aging parents. Don't worry about your children who are going in the wrong way right now. Don't worry about the church and all of the things that are wrong with it. Don't worry about anything, really? You know, it would be one thing if these words were written by someone who never had anything to worry about, but the man who wrote them, Paul, reported about his own life that he was plagued with constant worry. He was a man who 
uh, planted and then encouraged and equipped churches, and he reported being in constant anxiety over them, but yet still he could say, do not worry about anything. And he could say it for a reason. Not because the things that we're anxious about don't matter. No, they matter a lot, maybe more than we know. The things that you personally came into this place this morning worried about, maybe they matter more than you'd even dreamed, even if you think they matter a lot. But the reason he could say don't worry is because of what he went on to say, which is that in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication, supplication is a word that means uh, a very emphatic request that's given in earnest and repeatedly. Uh, with thanksgiving, he said, let your requests be made known to God. Uh, very simply, that means tell God what you want. Uh, look at your life right now where things are not as you're sure they should be. And then let your mind go to the thing that you wish were different, that you had this job, that you had success in this area, that finances were in better order, whatever it is, everything. There's literally nothing here that's out of bounds according to this man. You should tell God about it. That's what you ought to do. Now there's a promise that comes with this guidance. Uh, do not worry do ask God, and then this promise. Look at what he promises in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A heart and a mind that is guarded with peace is precisely the opposite of worry. Worry is when your mind is assailed by all kinds of uh, problems and troubles and you can't guard against it and it takes your peace away. You know what that's like, right? And what you want and need is peace. And here the promise is if you will let God know what you want in a way that goes beyond understanding so that no preacher, no matter how gifted, could ever explain how it works, there will be a peace that comes and guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's a good promise, right? But what about the request? Will, will you get what you ask for or not? See, that's the big question. When a person comes and asks God for something, does it make a difference? Or do they get what they ask for because they asked? Or does it go one way or the other just because it was going to go that way and then at the end they can either attribute it to their prayer or coincidence? Which is it? That's a big question, isn't it? And that's the question that I want to bring before us this morning, and I'll tell you why. I don't want to bring it before us so that we can have something to argue about academically or think through just philosophically. I want to bring it before us because I want to encourage you to pray. That's what I want. And I want you to be encouraged to go to God and tell God exactly what you want because I believe and I mean to show you this morning that when we ask God for specific things, sometimes everything goes different because of, we, because of what we did when we prayed. And I want you to pray because there are many things in your life that need to be changed. But then I must immediately follow it by admitting that sometimes when we pray and we ask for things, why it doesn't come out as we had hoped or longed for. Do you know what I mean? And I'm not just thinking about petty things. Yes, I remember in high school, my prayer life was about, God, please help me pass this test. And I never studied. And God, let me do a bad job because of it. Thank God. I mean the big things. I once taught about prayer. And a young adult came up to me afterward. He said, this is my first and last time coming to church here. I came because my brother forced me to come. I stopped going after college because when I was in college, I went to a Christian school 
And my professor's wife became ill and he read to us words about prayer. He told us what Jesus said about prayer and faith and we prayed in earnest for her over and over and she died and I gave up on it after that. It doesn't work. It's not real. And maybe, maybe there's someone in here this morning who comes in and says, I didn't know what to expect when I came this morning, but here, it's that same dead-end promise that didn't work. And if that's you, you know, all of the questions that you have are good questions. And in fact, there are stories that we can go to in Scripture which demonstrate the truth that sometimes a good request is made and it doesn't turn out as the person asked. But here now, I must tell you that we're going to deal with that next week. And I mentioned it at the start because I want your ears to be open to the other side, which is that sometimes people do ask for things and because they ask, things turn out differently. When I was uh, preparing for um, marriage with Michelle, uh, the, in, the, in the few months leading up to our wedding, we needed to find a place to live and it fell to me to do that. She was a full-time student. I said, I'll find the apartment. And this was in the days before the ubiquity of the internet. Do you remember when you had to go apartment hunting through the classified ads? Paper and ink on your fingers. <laughs> that chuckle was from my wife. She remembers this too. I found what I thought was a winner. Park-like setting. Cabin-like dwelling in peaceful, serene environment. 900 a month. Now that was more than we wanted to spend at that time. But we went, we showed up, we went to the backyard. It was in someone's backyard. Down a hill, uh, right there, the parkway's racing and there's just a few trees in between us and a trailer, a broken down old trailer. We got inside before we even uh, went over the threshold. Michelle was mouthing, get me out of here. <laughs> My friend Adam, who became the best man in our wedding, comes to visit one week before the wedding and we're driving to go sailing with my parents in Atlantic Islands. So some of you know Atlantic Islands? First Avenue, we're driving right down the road there. My friend says, Christian, you seem really anxious. Why don't you pull over and pray with me? And I thought, you jerk. <laughs> he said, have you asked God to help you find a place to live? Now, I don't know, but like maybe some of you, I grew up thinking, look, if God knows I need a place to live, he'll, he'll make it so I get it and I have to work hard at it and that's how it works. God's got more important things to think about. Have any of you ever thought that? Yeah. And if he's good and powerful, why would he just give it to me anyway? My friend Adam said, pull over right now, we're gonna pray. We pulled over right in front of the movie theater on First Ave. I closed my eyes, he prayed. God, please help Christian find a place for him and Michelle to live Help it be a great place for their first place together and may it be a place that brings them joy and take away his anxiety. God, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I turn to pull out into traffic. My eyes go across the street as I turn to look and there on the third floor above Angelica's, the restaurant there, is a sign in the window in big red letters that says one and two bedroom apartments for rent and there's a phone number there. I call up, the landlord is in town and I'm moving in the next day for $750 a month. If we didn't stop to pray, I'm absolutely sure I wouldn't have seen it. Someone might say, well, coincidence. No, I, I really do believe that God heard my prayer and we had a great, 
place to live. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And so listen now. Yes, there are many times where you ask and it doesn't come. And I'm going to ask you, please, in earnest, to hold on to those questions. If you can't tolerate it today, just tune in next week online. But I want you to hear what I have to say next week. But for this morning, the truth that God wants us to come with our requests. And when we do, God listens and things go differently because of it. Not every time, but sometimes, yes. The story that will teach us is a story that is, I think, absolutely beautiful in its simplicity. It's recorded in the first chapter of 1 Samuel. Some of you in here know the Bible very well. Uh, for some of you, it's a new book, and I'm thankful that I get to say and tell these stories in your hearing for the first time. But if you know the way the book Samuel opens, you know it includes a story of a woman named Hannah whose heart is breaking because she has no children. And so she goes and prays about it. And listen now, this is an aside. Uh, some of us in here know uniquely the pain of not being able to conceive. How hard that is for a woman who wants to have a child. In the environment in which this story is told, it's even harder because then it was universally accepted as some kind of sign that God was against you if you didn't have children. And surely Hannah grew up in that uh, environment feeling that. And to make matters worse, it was also an environment where it was extremely common for men to have more than one wi wife. And in this case, Hannah's husband is a good man named Elkanah, and he has a wife named Penina alongside Hannah. Now, these names are tricky, but hang on. Elkanah, Penina, Hannah. All right, you got it? <laughs> she has a lot of children. And she's mean. And what she does is she turns her cruelty against Hannah because Hannah is truly beloved by Elkanah even though she doesn't have children. So it's an, a, an amazingly twisted up story already that here we have a woman who is grief stricken because she can't have a child and yet her husband loves her even though she hasn't borne him any children. He, he loves her more than uh, his wife who has given him all of these children. And the setting of the story is, is, is in the moment that this uh, clan, and it's an extended family, is on their way to the temple of God to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And to some of you, that means something, and to others, it means nothing. Let me tell you what it is. It's a yearly celebration where God's people go to the temple to thank God for how he has provided for their every need. Uh, when they were in the desert, wandering after God freed them from Egypt, God sustained them, and to memorialize God's provision of their every need, they decided every year, let's go to the temple together and remember how good God is by giving us everything we need. And so every year, they would go and celebrate God's faithfulness through the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is where the scene is set. Now get it, where Elkanah is going along with Penina, who has lots of kids and is jealous of Hannah, who has none. And put yourself in Hannah's position for a moment. She has to go to the temple with all of God's people who are all saying how thankful they are that God gives them everything they want. And yet, Yet she has this unmet desire in her heart and she's had it for years. God will not give her what she wants. Uh, whatever you think about God, if you have something in your life that's not as you wish it, it would be, let that come into your mind and let that be the way you connect with Hannah. Maybe it is how things are going in your work. And maybe it's small. Maybe it's small. You can't get this project to go as you wish it would and it's really eating, e eating at your heart. Maybe it's really big. Maybe it is for you that it's infertility and, and even the subject is, just touches a nerve or it's addiction, uh, some kind of grief that you deal with that nobody else knows about. Hannah is on her way and look at what happens on their way 
to the temple. This is verse six in chapter one of 1 Samuel. Hannah's rival used to provoke her severely to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Uh, Imagine it. As they're on their way to worship, not only does she have her own mind, but she has the voice of a tormentor beside her, mocking her for her deficiency. Uh, some, Some of you in here have people in your life who mock you because you are trying to follow Jesus. Some of us don't know that, but others of us have that. Maybe you know what that's like. Maybe it's someone in your family or at work who knows you're a Christian and mocks you because even though you have faith, you still have troubles in your life and they tease you about it and it hurts so badly. In Hannah's case, it was someone who was right there. Maybe it's a family member, a sibling. Uh, Maybe you don't have that, but you have a voice in your own mind as you go to God that says, look, God doesn't regard you with any value at all because you still haven't got the thing that you've wanted all these years. God knows it and he's withholding it from you. It's because he hates you. And that voice mocks you. Some of you will know that. That was Hannah's situation. Look at how it affected her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Now that's a very concise description of depression. Uh, she was grief-stricken and she cried often and, and she lost her physical appetites. She wouldn't eat. And some of you know that experience or you're close to people who know that experience of grief so heavy that they can't even eat. And now, here's where we meet Elkanah. Her husband, Elkanah, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? He's concerned for her. Why do you not eat? He sees how much it's affecting her. Why is your heart sad? He sees it's all the way down in the center of her. Am I not more to you than 10 sons? That's a dumb question. (laughs) Right? Would that help anyone here? Like, right? I know you're really sad, but look, I'm better than what you want, right? 10 times better. What a jerk. Like, come on, buddy. I mean, if nothing else, take, don't ask stupid questions like this when people are really hurt, Okay. He, he cares for her, but he sees how, how much grief she's carrying. And he knows that the festival doesn't help. It just hurts more. And he wishes that she would be well. And look now, if you're doing well and you're here this morning and you're saying, I'm doing great, someone in your life is not doing well. And like Elkanah, you wish that things would go better for them. And we should. As Christians, we should look at every person in our lives, the ones who we like and the people we don't like. Jesus taught this. And we should wish the best for them. And that's what Elkanah wants for Hannah. And what Hannah does next shows us what we all need to see. Even with our philosophical questions about how could prayer ever change anything for God? Those are okay to have. They're good to have. We'll we'll come back to them in a minute. But even with those questions, what Hannah does next shows us what we all need to see. It's in verse nine. After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. All of God's people are there at Shiloh, at the temple, to celebrate God's faithfulness. And they have a great feast, and they eat, and they drink, and they celebrate. And together they're telling stories about how good God is, but Hannah's not participating in any of them. She hasn't touched any of the food. She hasn't had anything to drink. She's just sat back and slowly receded into the shadows of her own sadness and grief. Because as everyone else is talking about how good God is, all she can think of is, I'm still barren. Why won't it change? And then she slips back into the shadows... She leaves the table behind in the feast 
And off into the night she goes toward the temple, toward the place where God is, toward the place where she's grown up knowing that here is the presence of the God who loves you more than you could ever ask or imagine and who is always ready to hear you, who always is with his ears inclined toward your softest prayer. If it's a prayer of anger and grief, bring it on. If it's a prayer where you need to tell him how bad you've been, tell him he'll embrace and forgive you if it's a, if it's a request. If it's a thing that you've been asking for over and over again, bring it to him yet again. That's what Hannah does. She goes away and she goes to the temple where she knows God's presence rests and she does it to pray. Uh, Here's how the story unfolds. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Uh, This is the man whose responsibility is to be there and to help people connect with God. He's in the shadows. Hannah doesn't know that he's there when she comes in. This is verse 10. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She was exactly where she was in life, right there in God's presence. And where she was was terrible. She was so deeply distressed. She didn't hide anything of what she was going through from God. She brought it all to him. And then she wept bitterly. And her tears were her prayers. Her grief were, and her sobs were, were the, the finest poetry that she could possibly lift to God and she did it. Right there in the presence of God, she poured out her heart and she told God what she wanted. She had told him before, year after year, but she told him again, I want a son, God. I want a son. It's what I want. Give it to me. She poured out her heart before God and in this way she gives us a model of what every one of us is invited to consider doing, which is to bring the things that we want to God. To choose as a a maturing person, whether a child or an adult, to choose not to go on worrying, as Paul said, to worry about nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Why? Please understand, not because there's already an assurance that you're going to get exactly what you asked for, and I know that some preachers have peddled that wrong idea to try to hook people and pull them in. It's not true. Paul does not go on to say, you will thank God because you're going to get what you asked for. The reason I believe Paul said with thanksgiving is, is it struck him as magnificent, singularly magnificent, that the God who made the entire universe and who held it all in his own hands would have time for even the smallest prayer with thanksgiving to let him know exactly what you want. Whether it's gigantic and huge, like I want to conceive and I can't, whether it's big like that, or maybe you think I don't have anything big like that. I just have all these little small things. Yes, bring those things. Like Hannah, bring those things to God in prayer. The promise that Paul gave was that peace would guard the heart. But before we get to that, can we come back to this question? And let's be philosophical for a minute. Can it possibly be true that a request like this should change the course of events? If God is good and wise and powerful, if God is in control, as we love to say, if God is omnipotent, if God is sovereign, then how can the prayer from an ordinary human being change the course of events? If God knows it's good, wouldn't he give it to us anyway? Why should we presume to tell God what to do? It's fixed because that's who God is. Well, listen, if that's our viewpoint because we've grown up with a particular philosophical vision of who God is, can we let this story challenge that vision for a moment? Would you do that with me? Hannah's just an ordinary young woman. And she asks God uh, for a child. 
And she has to ask because her womb is closed by the Lord. And uh, spoiler alert, okay? She gets pregnant and has a baby. And the way the story is told is very plain. She conceives because when she prayed, the Lord heard her prayer and caused her to become pregnant. That's what happened. And you may say, well, this is just one story. Are there others? Yes, there are others. Elijah is a man who prays that it wouldn't rain. And he prays for a long time and it doesn't rain. And then when he finally prays again, it begins to rain. And James later on reflects on this man. You may know this story and says, uh, the prayer of a righteous man, it, it, it availeth much. It has much power in it. Moses, here's another story. You've heard of Moses. Moses, when he came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, having received them from God, he returned to fi find that uh, the first congregation had already decided to abandon the true God and start worshiping uh, a golden calf as their new God. How would that be uh, as a disappointment? Can you imagine that? And God decides, well, I'm going to destroy all of them. And Moses says, please don't destroy them. And God says, no, I'm going to. And then Moses pleads with him and prays. And the Bible says that God changes his mind because of the prayer of Moses. Here you see that the Bible is uh, chock full of stories where ordinary people pray and God decides to do things differently. Someone might say, well, hold on a minute, hold on. Hannah's a really special person. Uh, Elijah, very godly man, righteous man. James says so. Moses, who could we, how could we compare ourselves to him? None of us are that good. How about this? You know the story of Jonah? You know the really awful people in that city? What are they called? Ninevites? They're naughty, right? If you've seen the Veggie Tales version of it, they're really bad. <laughs> God's gonna destroy the whole city. They pray and God changes his mind and has mercy on them. Again, we see it, that events go differently after people pray to God than they would have if they hadn't prayed. And I know now that someone who's very philosophical is gonna be turning it over in their mind and they're saying, hold on a minute, this raises all kinds of really thorny questions about causation. How could it be that God would allow us to change the course of events simply by our words to him? Have you ever thought that? Yes or no? I need help this morning. Yeah? I appreciate that. Do you realize that God has set the world up? And this is unemphatically true, that we can change the course of, our, of events by our words to one another. Why should he withhold it uh, that we could change the course of events with our words to him? Uh, you can go home this afternoon and be uh, unexpectedly kind to the person that you live with. And their life will change because of it. You can actually change the course of their day and their life by choosing day after day to speak kindly to them. Or you can go on being a rotten stinker, complaining, fussing all the time, and you can make their life worse. And God has set the world up so you can change the way things go simply by the way you use your words with the people around you. Now, why should it be logically impossible that we could change the course of events with our words to God? You see? And, and, and besides, God tells us, come to me and ask me for what you want. Uh, it's implied in what Paul says, in everything let your requests be made known. It's taught directly by Jesus. Come and tell God what you want. It's exemplified in many stories besides the one I've mentioned that what God wants is for his people to come to him and tell him exactly what they want, to ask him. And the way we're meant to picture God is not as if he is some kind of cosmic landlord who set things up and then has kept the distance between us 
and him so that things are going to roll on however they go without any regard for what we want or ask for, but rather God wants us to see him as a tender and loving father who at every moment is waiting for us to come to him and tell him exactly what we want. So that, listen now, so that he can take into consideration the things we ask for when he decides what shall be. Not so that we get what we want when we figure out the formula, but so that God can have us there speaking to him, uh, letting him know exactly what we want, and then so God can take that into consideration and determine whether things will go in a different way because of what we asked for or not. Now, sometimes it won't go as we ask. I'm setting myself up for a real challenge next week, but I promise I'll get to that next week. But for now, sometimes it goes just as we wanted. I want you to look with me at Hannah's prayer because in it we see uh, something that has potential to teach us, uh, not formulaically, but how to come to God in the way that God um, would invite our requests and be open to steering things differently. Um, this, this is how she prays in verse 11. She, that is Hannah, made this vow. O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child. There it is. She asks for a son. There's her request. She brings it to God. If God, if only you will give a, a, a child to me, a male child. Do you notice there is repetition in her request? Three times she refers to herself in the same way and it's not a small fact, but a large one. Do you notice how she refers to herself three times? as a servant. And here we are seeing the posture, the attitude which God is open to when we come to him with our requests. And it is that when we come to God, seeing ourselves in the way that we ought to see ourselves, which is as God's servants, then he's open to what we ask for. You know how easy it is to see God as your servant in your prayers instead of you as his? Do you know what I mean? It, it, I'll come back to me. I'll start with me, okay? In college, God, please help me get a passing grade on Calc 2, even though I haven't gone to class even one time. Amen. That is my way of saying, God, would you please be my servant and take the test for me? And God, let me get an F. Thank God, right on that test, I failed. That's me asking God to be my servant. Uh, or you don't have a job and you want one. And so you go to God and say, God, please help me get a job. But you're not willing to go out there and knock on doors. You're asking God to do something for you that it, it, he wants you to do yourself and then add to it his power. We can never get far if we ask God to be our servants. But rather here comes Hannah looking at herself and regarding herself as the servant of God. And then she lets him know what she wants, a child. And then she continues. And then this is the second part. Then... I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. I'll explain in a second. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants and no razor shall touch his head. Uh, these were the, the promises, the vows that a very specific group of men in that day made, the Nazarites, to be set apart for God's service all their lives long. And when Hannah asks for a son, she immediately tells God as his servant why she wants that son. And she wants that son so she can be a part of serving God in a unique way. And there's a second element in her prayer. She not only sees herself as a servant when she asks, but what she asks for is for the sake of serving God better than she could have otherwise. 
And those two ingredients, those two elements, they do not guarantee you will get what you want. But I believe in Hannah's story, God means us to see that if we will come to God in these same two ways, then we can be assured that he will be open to us in a unique way to our requests. That when we come to him and see ourselves as his servants and ask for good things that will enable us to serve him better, then we can be assured that he hears us in the very best way. Think of your own situation now. Uh, whatever it is that drives you to the shadows like Hannah. Uh, whatever it is in your own life that you wish were different. And now imagine, can you in good conscience come to God with that request, seeing God not as your servant to get something from him, but rather yourself as his servant? And I know that many of you struggle with things and you can do that with the way that you want to care for your aging parents, uh, with the way that you want to um, provide for your children, uh, for, the way, for the ways that you want to love your spouse better, uh, for the, the good wishes that you have for your grandchildren. You know that as God's servant, you can uh, wish for them to find the right path. Whatever it is, you let that come into your mind and now consider how the outcome there might enable you to be a better servant of God's, to participate in his mission. That's what Hannah wanted. She wanted a child to turn over to the Lord for his mission. And friends, when, when we have this outlook on ourselves and the things we ask for, what we can be assured of is that God hears and that he considers our requests. And then this, listen, if it is good, it will be as we asked and we can trust God with that. And listen now, if it does not come, we can trust God with that too. Either way, and this is the promise that comes from Paul, either way, we can be assured that when we come to God and, and, and make our requests known, here it is again from Philippians. The peace of God which passes understanding, it cannot be explained. It will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That we can leave the shadows and our tears behind and be at peace because God will give us his spirit to enable us to trust. I want you to uh, see with me uh, what happens after she prays and Eli sees her prayer there, uh, overhears it and, and has a conversation with her about it. Look at how the story ends. This is verse 17. Then Eli answered her, go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition you have made to him. Uh, that's the priest's way of saying, I've seen how you've asked. I understand why you've asked. And, and then he adds his own prayer. May God give you exactly what you've asked for. When you are seeing yourself as a servant and wanting to serve God, then would you please, uh, oh God, give just that thing to this woman who's asked. And then, look at this, verse 18. And she said to him, let your servant find favor in your sight. And then the woman went to her quarters. That is, she went back to the celebration ate and drank with her husband. And you know what that means, right? Her appetite came back. She got her appetite back. I know someone's chuckling because they think something else happened here. Come on now. <laughs> Maybe it did. And her countenance was sad no longer. See, what that means, we know this, is that the outcome hasn't changed yet. She can't possibly know any outcome has changed, but what's changed for her is her disposition. Her heart has given way to, to the hope that God knows 
and that God is good and that God has received her request and can be trusted with the outcome. And he can. And that's true for you. Pray. Tell God exactly what you want. In this story, after they're together and they go back home, she conceives and she bears a son. The next year when they come back for the celebration, as they did every year, this time she comes with a little baby in her arms. And she comes back again and when he's old enough, she brings him to the priest, Eli, and she says, remember me, the one who was praying like that? Look, this is the answer to the prayer. She named him Samuel, which means God has heard and she makes good on her vow. She gives the baby right there to the priest and she says, he's yours. And then for the rest of her life as a mom, she visits the temple. She makes him little clothing. She looks after him as he grows up to become an amazing servant of God's all because she decided to go to God and tell God exactly what she wanted. And here's the outcome that I deeply want for all of you and because of this message, it is that you should return to God with whatever prayer you have, even if you've been bringing it to him for years, and you should lay it all out before him and ask him for it and then wait for the peace of God which passes understanding to guard your hearts and minds and then finally trust the outcome to God. And if it's good, if it's a great apartment to live in, enjoy every day that you live there. And if it's not, if it's a loss that's too much for you, brace yourself and trust even still. And next week, that's going to be our subject. How it goes when we ask for something good and it doesn't come. Uh, Jesus will be our teacher next week. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We thank you for the chance to gather like we've been uh, together here this morning and have been each Sunday this summer to learn together. We want to grow. And we want our learning not just to be in our minds, but also in our hearts and in our actions especially. We want our learning to turn into prayers. God, encourage us to pray. Help us come to you and speak with you easily. Help us bring before you whatever we're feeling, even if it's anger and frustration. God, where we are guilty, help us bring our sins to you and confess them to you. And then assure us of your grace and mercy and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And then God, help us like we've learned today to bring every worry and every concern to you and lay it all out. And then God, would you make good on the promise that your spirit will guard our hearts and minds so that we can have peace. And then whatever the outcome, God, help us trust you. And we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus, who is good. In his name we pray. Amen.